Our passage from scripture this morning comes from Luke 20, verses 20 through 23. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and the authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the truth and the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. One of the reasons I wanted you to see that video is, first of all, it's just an amazing offering of praise and worship uh, to our Lord. Second, it has this beautiful relationship between Father and Son, and we see how the faith, faith is modeled. But third, the words of that song is just, they're so powerful. And I think they're words that each one of us needs to take deeply into our hearts as we approach Election Day, and certainly post-Election Day here in our country. Let me just read a few of the words uh, for us this morning. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. You call me out upon the water, the great unknown where feet may fail, and there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. Well, no doubt you've heard pundits from all sides say this is one of the most important elections in our nation's history, certainly in the modern era. I heard one pundit yesterday say that it may be the most volatile race in our nation's history. You've probably seen on the news where major cities have already taken steps to board up windows around businesses uh, just in case there is post-election violence. Consider all that has bubbled up just in 2020 alone. A raging pandemic that no sh shows no signs of letting up. A record number of cases were reported yesterday of almost 100,000 per day. And in some states, there is an alarming rate of positivity. An economy that some say is teetering on the brink of recession. And of course, the ongoing wounds and scars of systemic racism that we've seen bubble up in a powerful way this year. Years from now, historians are going to look back and write volumes about how we as a nation either handled or mishandled this moment. It is a defining moment. It is a very important election. I urge you to vote if you have not already. It's not only an, import, an important election, though. I believe with all my heart and my soul and my being that this is a moment, and actually not, not just a moment, but an invitation from our Lord, a demand from our Lord to bear witness to His goodness and His grace 
to bear witness to His unconditional love and His sovereign reign over all. No matter who wins or loses, no matter how you feel about the person who wins or loses, I believe the Lord is calling His people out into the deep waters of our faith. I believe He is calling us to a place of trust in His sovereign goodness and grace that will enable us to bring healing, peace, and hope to our neighborhoods and our cities. I believe that though we have to be willing to go with Him. We have to be willing to go out with Him to those deeper waters. A willingness to hear and to heed His call out into those places, those places where we would deny our fleshly responses, reactions, and emotions that so often fail us and damage our witness. We are called into the deep waters of His presence. And it is the peace of His presence, the peace of His presence, no matter what is happening around us, it is that peace that gives us the inner strength and the courage to be a people who would seek to heal the wounds and the divisions and the injustices in our land. Simply put, how you handle this election is a matter of mission and witness, and dare we say, obedience and discipleship to our Lord. How you handle this election is a matter of your witness and of our mission together. The text that Brian read earlier is a text that I use almost every Sunday prior to Election Day. It is kind of like those Christmas passages. It is one you frequently hear at a special time. Uh, Some of uh, what we're going to explore today are insights I've shared with you before, but for some reason, I don't know about you, but I just need to hear these texts and these insights over and over and over. For some reason, we often need a tune-up, don't we? So that we can hear these words with fresh ears and so we can apply them with fresh perspective. That is the beauty and the wisdom of the words of Jesus Our Lord's words have no expiration date. I went to the store recently, Brian, and I bought some chicken. And that chicken had an expiration date on it. And so I either need to freeze it or eat it before the expiration date, right? Yeah. Well, the good news about the words of our Lord is they have no expiration date. They have none. We can learn from them over and over and over again. Jesus calls us out into the deep waters. And he tells us, to give what is Caesar, Caesar, and to give to God what is rightfully God's. And in so doing, Jesus calls us to live in light of two kingdoms, the government's kingdom and God's kingdom. And as God's people, we live in this world. We have responsibilities to the powers of this world as Sarah so beautifully represented in the children's message. But we're also citizens of another kingdom, God's kingdom. And the citizenship in God's kingdom not only influences how we live toward God, but it also influences how we live and how we interact, how we live toward and interact with Caesar. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a look at the two kingdoms briefly. Then I want us to answer the question, what is Caesar's and what is God's? The two kingdoms. 
The kingdom of this world. Jonathan Alexander wrote, a kingdom is all about how the king leverages his rule and reign. How the king wields power. The kingdom of this world, the image of the kingdom of this world is the sword because it is power over. Now, when you hear this concept, it might be a little bit shocking at first and it may give you pause. But in reality, that's how governments work. That their power ultimately is power over the sword. They have the ability to coerce a certain type of behavior. Now, in reality, there are all kinds of earthly kingdoms and all kinds of systems of government. Some are really, really bad in the way they use their power, and some are responsible. In general, even the best of governments ultimately use the sword to compel compliance if necessary. Last week, I mentioned during the first week that I had my driver's license when I was 16 years old, I got two tickets. The state of North Carolina decided that I then needed some extra time and extra study in order to be able to drive freely. Had I not complied to their demands, they would have eventually compelled me to comply in some way or another. Now, we'll get to our responsibility in a moment when the state abuses the power to comply, but in general, we know that God has given authority to governments to keep the peace. A challenge, though, is that the sword can compel compliance. It can coerce you not to steal or to speed in your car, but it cannot change your desire to steal or to speed in your car. Then we have the kingdom of God. And the image of the kingdom of God is the cross. And this is power under, where the kingdom of, of Caesar or the government is power over. The kingdom of God is power under. The kingdom of God was the central teaching of Jesus. Not just that, the reign and rule of God, all things about God's kingdom, was embodied in Jesus. Jesus planted the seed of God's kingdom. And like a mustard seed, he expected it to grow and to expand. He planted it with his life, his ministry, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection. And then he gave this incredible task to his church. We, as the church, are to be the embodiment of his kingdom. We, as the church, we're to be the embodiment, embodiment of his kingdom. Our friend David Bailey, who's been teaching our, uh, the course that we just wrapped up, Race Class and the Kingdom of God, the name of their organization is Erebon, which means a foretaste. We, as the church, are a foretaste of God's kingdom. When God's kingdom completely and fully reigns, we're a second body, and we are to do what he did. We are to think like he thought, and we are to have his mind. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Consider others better than yourself. Let the mind of Jesus be in you. And it is this mind that then he humbled himself and he went to the cross. This humble, self-giving love is power under. It does not seek to coerce. It seeks to love. And as this power under, self-giving love is experienced by people in the world, their hearts are changed. Sean Allen, our, our guest worship leader who we just 
uh, heard in worship, he and I were talking about this this past week, and he said Christians should fight for the rights of all people, but specifically non-Christians. We're to extend justice and equality and love and mercy to all people. Christians should deny themselves rights and freedoms and work, fight, and love so that others may have and enjoy rights and freedoms. When the horrible plagues hit Rome in the first century, Christians had the right and the freedom to flee the city, but they did not. They stayed in the city and they tended to the needs of the sick and the orphan and the widowed and the dying. This is servant leadership. This is power under. This, my friends, represents the deeper waters. This was and is God's kingdom expansion strategy. It is not to take up arms and go on a crusade. It is not to bang people over the head with hateful rhetoric. It is not to shame them into going to church. It is not to sloganeer or electioneer. God's kingdom expansion strategy is to love people into the kingdom of God one heart at a time. This coming under does not mean that Christians cater to every wish of the government. We don't cater to every wish of the power over crowd. That would be destructive for all parties. But it means that we always seek to serve serve people in the world with God's best interest at heart and in heart for them. Greg Boyd, who's written on this, says, maybe you've heard this quote before, when God flexes omnipotent muscle, it doesn't look like Rambo or the Terminator. It looks like the cross. When God flexes omnipotent muscle, it doesn't look like Rambo or the Terminator. It looks like the cross. So as Christians, we live in light of both of these kingdoms. We are in this world and we face the day-to-day realities of this world. But our ultimate hope and our ultimate reign is in the fullness of God. And we know that in the fullness of God's time, His rule and reign will prevail fully and completely. One day in the fullness of God's time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So what is Caesar's? And what is God's? Well, let's take a look. What is Caesar's? Let me offer a few excerpts that St. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, the very center of Caesar's power. He wrote, Be subject to governing authorities. There is no authority except that which God has established. Submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Just some, a few excerpts from Romans 13, 1-7. So here, we see right away that we are to give Caesar proper recognition. Human governments have been established by God to provide order and to be an instrument of justice and peace. Therefore, we are to give our ruling authorities respect and honor. And it's not just a matter of respect and honor because we're afraid of Caesar. Paul goes on to say that we're to give respect and honor out of our sense of conscience. As a Christian, there are times that we are challenged with a leader who has not acted respectfully or honorably. As a Christian, there are times when we realize that there are leaders who have not earned by their character or behavior respect 
and honor. And they acted disrespectfully and dishonorably. The deeper place, the deeper waters, is to respect and honor. And yes, submit to the office even when you struggle with the woman or man in the office. The matter of obedience and submission is an offering we offer up to our Lord. Our Lord no doubt knew that His detractors were corrupt. He knew the religious leaders had Him arrested on trumped up charges. He knew He was completely innocent as He stood before Pontius Pilate. Yet He submitted. He submitted. Remember, this is our Jesus who called us out into the deep waters and told us to bless those who hate us, bless those who insult us, bless those who persecute us, and if I may add, bless those who vote differently than you do on Tuesday. I must confess to you that these words led me to a place of confession and repentance this past week. Some in the family I grew up in like to discuss the important matters of life. ACC basketball, baseball, and politics with, shall we say, gusto. And if any of my family members are listening to this message today, sometimes they join from time to time. If any of them are listening, they would probably type in the chat room and Phil started most of those conversations. The Lord reminded me this past week, that is another way to say the Lord convicted me, that my speech has not always been respectful. And I've had to do business with the Lord and ask for forgiveness. How about you? What do we owe Caesar? We owe Caesar proper recognition and respect. And we owe Caesar proper participation. Let me suggest a few ways we participate. In that same excerpt from Romans 13, Paul talks about owing revenue and taxes. If you owe taxes and revenue, pay all the taxes and revenue you owe. By the way, you just can't decide how much you want to pay. Paying taxes reminds us that we don't have freedom and liberty in this country at least without some skin in the game, do we? We have the responsibility of supporting the government to enjoy the freedom and liberties and protection from the state without supporting it if we're able would be selfish. We owe prayer. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, I urge them first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We need to pray for our leaders that they would lead in such a way that we can live peaceful lives. And if our leaders are more agents of division than peace, then we should pray even more that God would change their heart. No one is beyond the grace and the touch of God. Let me say that again. If our leaders are more agents of division and peace, then we should pray even more that God would change their hearts because no one is beyond the grace and touch of God. We also need to know that there are Christians who have disagreed on the degree of participation. There are good and godly Christians who are pacifists, who believe that a Christian should never use a weapon to harm another human being, even in a time of war. 
There are Christians who don't believe in taking oaths or serving in the military. And the beauty of our government is even when we had a draft, we made provisions for those who hold these views. And of course, in our system, we participate by voting and choosing our leaders. This is a blessing of our system. Vote. Research the issues. Pray about the issues. And bring your Christian conscience and convictions to the ballot box. And proper participation also means dissent, which is what we also need to give Caesar as a Christian. And we need to give Caesar as a Christian our prophetic voice. Jesus said that we should give Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. We give Caesar taxes and prayers and respect and honor but we do not give Caesar an unexamined conscience or the rightful place that God has in our lives. This means that if the government violates your conscience and if the government asks you to violate the laws of God, then you respectfully, thoughtfully, and prayerfully, and peacefully, peacefully, peacefully dissent. It has not been lost on me that I am offering this message today in the sanctuary that used to be the sanctuary of our legacy church, First Baptist Church, Alexandria. Their first pastor, Jeremiah Moore, was put in jail before the revolution for preaching the gospel without a license, without permission from the state. He broke the law to preach the gospel. Moore wrote, I have felt the effects of an ecclesiastical establishment. I have been told by a judge in his seat you shall lie in jail until you rot. For my crime was no other than preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. God himself is the only one to whom man is accountable for his religious sentiments, nor has he erected any tribunal on earth qualified to judge whether the man worships in an acceptable manner or not. There is a limit to our disobedience. Excuse me. There is a limit to our obedience. Of course there's a limit to our disobedience. And let me say this clearly. If the government perpetuates injustice upon another human being, it is the responsibility of Christians and churches to stand up and to speak out. It is our responsibility to stand up and to speak out. We have seen front and center in our civic life this year We've seen the murder of George Floyd and many other persons of color by excessive and abusive force by law enforcement. This is a reason to stand up and to speak out and to use our prophetic voice. The disregard for the unborn child in the womb is a reason to stand up and to speak out and to use our prophetic voice. The ripping of children away from their parents at the border is a reason to stand up and to speak out and to use our prophetic voice. Before you are tempted to write me, let me just say, those issues are not left or right. They're not red or blue, or they shouldn't be. They are Christian issues. And in my view, the Christian voice, the voice of the church in the world today, should not be tethered to a political party with blind partisanship. We should be the prophetic voice of our Lord in our national discourse. We as Christians should be the conscience of the nation without regard to party. When we allow one party to co-opt our message 
and we give our vote blindly, then the church of Jesus loses our prophetic voice. We should stand up for the weak, the powerless, the hungry, the poor, the tired, the stranger from a distant land. A friend of mine who used to live in this area now lives in Missouri. He's part of a ministry called the University of Hope. This ministry provides very low interest loans to help those who are trapped in the cycle of predatory loans from payday and title loan lenders. And they've also used their prophetic voice to get laws changed, but they're, they're putting their prophetic voice into action by helping these people. Bottom line, Caesar deserves the prophetic voice of the church as she stands on the side of the oppressed and marginalized. And to exercise this voice is to follow Jesus into the deep waters of conviction and conscience. But I can't mention a prophetic voice without also mentioning a warning. We need to know that if we do choose to exercise our prophetic voice, if we do choose peaceful dissent as a way to express this voice, we must be prepared to face the consequences. We are warned by Jesus that we could very well be persecuted for our faith. We could be persecuted for our voice. But He also told us not to fear the one who can kill the body, but the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And, He did promise to stay with us no matter what may come our way. That's the deeper waters. So what is God's? Well, you caught me. We've already been leaning into this, haven't we? We owe God our conscience. We owe God our prophetic voice. We owe God our obedience in how we give to Caesar what is rightfully Caesar's including our prayers and respect. And Jesus said we are to seek first the kingdom of God. We are to want it more than we want the kingdom of Caesar. We are to seek it deeper and with more passion than Caesar's. God wants our first love, our first priority, our first hope. Jesus is our ultimate king. And we owe him first honor, first glory, first reverence, to Him and to Him alone. As Christians, we know our ultimate trust is in God. After all, we know that even though we have a very narrow view of the sweep of human history, our view is not all there is, is there? We know that in the fullness of God's time, God is going to redeem this world. We know that every knee will bow, which also means every single system of government, yes, even ours, will no longer exist. And as Handel wrote in the Messiah, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Why? Because He's the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. Cue the band, Hallelujah. People of God, we are being invited by our Lord into the deeper waters today and this week as our nation navigates this election. How we handle this moment more than anything 
more than red, blue, right, left, for disciples of Jesus is a matter of mission and witness. It's a matter of discipleship and obedience. We have the opportunity to love like Jesus loved, to bring grace like he brought grace, to reach out and to bring peace and healing the way he brought peace and healing with power under. A few more lyrics from the song that we tried to play for you earlier. Your grace abounds in the deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds me, you never failed and you won't start now. Oh, please, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Your love, your loyalty, your conscience, your mission, and your witness. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. God, we come to you as your people. You have named us and you have called us. You have chosen us. And you have elected us to be your witness and to be on mission for you in this world. Lord, we recognize that our nation is having a tough time. Our nation is experiencing some troubled waters. But Lord, we know that in you we find peace. And we find hope. And we find, Lord, that even as troubled waters may surround us, that you give us a peace that the world doesn't understand. So God, I pray that each one of us, each one of us today, would make the commitment that no matter what comes our way in the week ahead, that we would remember that you rule and that you reign, that you're our first priority, you're our first love, you're our first hope. And oh God, the way that we navigate this moment gives us just this incredible public opportunity to bear witness for you, to be on mission for you, to love like you love, to serve like you serve, to bring peace like you brought peace. Thank you, God, for this privilege. Thank you for this opportunity to stand up for you in such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen.